Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Man, it kind of feels like fall outside, doesn't it? I know that we're still technically summer, but it feels like fall. I love the fall. Kind of talked about that last week a little bit, but yeah, I love the fall, the change, the smell. I love that wet smell in the air, the earth. Mm, I just, I, I really love it. Um, and it, then it also helps my son because it knocks down those allergy, allergens. <laughs> so he's not waking up at 5 a.m. sneezing every morning. So, well, good morning to those of you who are regulars here at Celebration Center. And for anybody who might possibly be a guest, I don't know who you are because I'm new here too. <laughs> so, um, but seriously, it's great to be with you guys this morning. And I'm so glad that you all decided to join us today. I know it's a really big deal. It's a little bit of a sacrifice because the Seahawks are playing in a little while here, right? Um, but I appreciate that you all came here today. And here's why. Whether you've been here for a long time or this is something new to you, uh, you were designed for a purpose. Each and every one of us here were designed for a purpose. That purpose is to love God and others by reflecting God in the way he created you to. All right? You hear that? God created you to reflect him in the world to the people around you, to love them and to love him as an individual. But then he also created us as a group to do the same thing. All right? So to borrow a phrase from the Blues Brothers, we're on a mission from God. Okay? Don't throw any tomatoes. We're on a mission from God. And that mission is for us as individuals and as a group. And it's big and it's bold. Here at, at Celebration Center, we put it this way. Our mission is to inspire people to follow Jesus, discover new life in him, and to change our world. Who here thinks that that's just a small thing? No. Who, yeah, it, it's a really, really big thing. There's a lot that goes into that. It's all part of what God has done in us so that he can then begin to work through us. And this morning, we're actually starting a three-part uh, series about mission, okay? It's about a bigger life that th- th- we've called it bigger uh, because there's a story in the Gospel of Matthew that, that talks about this and it describes a bigger kind of life, something that goes beyond what Maybe we just typically think about, or, or maybe the just day-to-day stuff. Have, has anybody ever here just, oh man, I've got so many things on my to-do list, I have to get them done, and then by the time you, you're ready for bed, all you've done is a couple of those to-do things, and then you know you got to get up the next morning, and you got to start all over again, right? And life sometimes just begins to feel a little bit small, like this is all there is. But I'm here to say this morning that we've got something bigger. There is a bigger life for all of us. And we're going to look at that over the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at Matthew 4 verses 12 through 22. Now we're not going to look at all of those verses this morning. We're going to look at a section of it. But Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. And one of the major themes in the gospel of Matthew is that God is fulfilling all of his promises to make all things new through Jesus. Jesus is the one 
that God is using to fulfill his promises. And because of this, over and over again, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, we encounter an invitation. And it's a two-sided invitation. It's kind of a challenge. The first part is to drop all of our preconceived ideas and notions about what life is, what is important, what we need to pursue, all of that. So anything that, that I might hold dear, I, I, I need to check. I need to check against what God says, all right? Drop those things, and then the other side of the invitation is to join Jesus in his way of life and in the work that he is doing. And from that invitation, we get the big idea for the series, which is this. We've been invited to be part of a bigger life. We've been invited to be part of a bigger life. So what do I mean by a bigger life? We've all experienced aspects of life that have felt kind of small and like they were going nowhere, right? Maybe it's a relationship where the relationship and everything in that relationship focuses around one person, all right? It's all about them. Everything you do is supposed to be all about them. Maybe it's been a job where everything you did was all about the bottom line. Have you ever had a job where it was just about the bottom line? Yeah. I remember a time my wife worked for an HVAC company. This was years ago. Nobody in this area. <laughs> but she worked for a company where um, they got together every year for a, a Christmas party. And it, it was a nice Christmas party. We enjoyed it. And so I went with her to her company Christmas party. And we had fun. We enjoyed it and all of that. At the very end of the party, I kid you not, it was like the very last thing that, that uh, the owners said. They got up and they said, oh, yeah, well, there's actually not going to be any bonuses this year. Have a great Christmas, you guys. And then, and then the party was over. Well, this happened. Everybody knew that they were in the process of building their second or third home on the coast. Okay, so apparently a lot of the bottom line was going to feed what they wanted. And so it felt a little bit small. Here's my point. Small things, small causes, small vision, small leadership leave us feeling insignificant, don't they? And like we're simply a cog in a large piece of machinery that where our only purpose, our only value is based on what we give to it. And then as soon as we can't give that, it's done. Our value is gone. But here's, here's the glorious thing about God. That's not who he is. That's not God's kingdom. And what we're going to discover today is that we have been invited to be part of a bigger life. A life that doesn't merely benefit us. I mean, because let's face it, God has given us a lot of stuff, right? He's given us grace. He's given us life. He's brought us into his family. But he doesn't give us those things just so that we can enjoy them and sit back and say, all right, I've arrived. I'm good. He gives us those things so that we can join him in what he's doing. That's the bigger part. That's the bigger part. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 16 this morning. Matthew chapter 4 verses 12 through 16. And I'm actually going to be reading out of the NIV. And it says this, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John, John here being spoken of is John the Baptist. That is, uh, we see in, in other, in the, it's the Gospel of Luke, that John is actually Jesus's cousin. He is the one who was sent ahead of Jesus to prepare the way. We see that in the Gospel of Mark. 
So he's kind of an important figure, but he's also, um, he's also very controversial because the religious leaders and the political leaders don't like him because he speaks the truth, okay? So he's been put in jail. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Jesus says, okay, I, I need to go away right now. Verse 13, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived. If you're in your Bible, underline that. He went and lived, or if you're in your Bible app, highlight it. It's important. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. And then this is key. Verse 14, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. You see, Jesus knew he was on a mission. And what he's doing is calculated and intentional. He is going to purposefully fulfill part of God's plan. He has signed on to God's plan, and he's going to fulfill it. Verse 15, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This quote actually comes from an Old Testament book, one of the prophets. His name is Isaiah, all right? And this comes from a section in chapters, what we have is chapters 8 and 9. And this section describes people who have chosen to worship idols and go after false gods, and they're actually living in exile. They are distressed, and they've been banished, much in the same way that Adam and Eve were exiled for their disobedience to God. They had to go out of the garden. As a matter of fact, exile, it's a major theme throughout the Bible, okay? People being sent away because of disobedience, but that's not the end of the story. Okay, it's a little bit like the time my wife Jessica and I, we were going into Walmart and we thought, you know what, we can make a really quick trip to Walmart. Has anybody ever deluded themselves into thinking they can make a quick trip through Walmart? Yeah. Well, my son Caleb was about four at the time and we did what at, at this point we're thinking, okay, we, we, I think it was even a Saturday, which was even worse. We were just setting ourselves up for failure. But we, we go into Walmart and, and we, we do what every good parent does when they're faced with wanting to get something done quickly. And they've got their little one in tow. We bribed our kid. Okay, we bribed him. We said, Caleb, if you obey, if you, if you don't touch stuff, if you keep your hands to yourself, if you stay near mommy and daddy, we'll give you an entire dollar that you can spend. And he was like, he actually stood up at attention. He said, my eye, Captain. All right, But then, of course, faced with the trials and the temptations of every four-year-old, he didn't end up getting his dollar. And so later on that evening, as he's getting ready for bed, I hear him in the other room singing the blues. <laughs> I lost my dollar because I didn't obey at Walmart. It's actually kind of cute. Now, what the people that Isaiah was talking about and referring to were experiencing was a whole lot worse than losing a dollar at Walmart. As I said, the image Isaiah used is that of exile. These are people who have been sent away that God has actually removed his presence from. 
which means not only are they, are they out of God's presence, but they also lose something of what it actually means to be human as well. And so all aspects of life just begin to degrade. It's a, it's a downward spiral, all right? It gets worse and worse. But notice, God doesn't leave it there, does he? That's not the end of the story. The timeout that he put the people in isn't the completion of the story. There's a reversal that happens within Isaiah's description. Those who have been living in exile, those who have been living without God, now, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, have hope. They have hope. They have a future. They have God's presence. Not because of anything they've done, but because of everything God has done for them. Because of God's loving, gracious action. And by using this, this passage out of Isaiah, Matthew says Jesus is the epicenter of God's bigger story. That's what he says. Jesus fulfills this. Jesus is God's loving, gracious action. And if you're taking notes this morning, that's the main thing for today. The main thing this morning on your outline, Jesus is the center of God's bigger story. Jesus is the center of God's bigger story because he's the one through whom God accomplishes his plan. He's the one through whom we get into relationship with God. He isn't merely at the center as if he's kind of standing around just making a few things happen. He is the center. Here's how Paul, one of the earliest missionaries and apostles, put it in Ephesians 1, 3. I love this passage of Scripture. Ephesians 1, 3 says this. Praise be, a better translation there, is actually blessed be. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. All right, so there's this give and take of blessing. We ascribe blessing to God and he blesses us back. And it's a cycle that happens. And there's so much good stuff in this one verse. Unfortunately, we just don't have the time to unpack all of it. I wish we did, but we don't. But there are three things I wanna draw our attention to that I think are very important as we're beginning to talk about living this bigger life. And here's the first one. On your outline, God is the one who acts for us. He acts for us. I remember a time I was in the Boy Scouts, and it was, oh, it was early-ish spring, and we, we went camping. This was in western Oregon, so it was fairly rainy at that point, and I went with a group of, uh, I, I was a new Boy Scout, um, most of the other guys that went were more experienced and, and all of that. Well, the more experienced guys were the ones who got to drop the plan for what the camp was going to look like. And, and they decided that we would just have one big communal tent, which was a tarp stretched out with rope. All right. And then, so when we got this, this tarp set up, all of the older guys said, I get the middle. All right. They got the middle, and that night, as me, one of, one, of the, one of the young guys in the crew, I got to be on the outside 
not literally outside, but I ended up outside in the rain because I moved that night and my, so- my, my sleeping bag and my socks and my, my clothes just got soaked. And it was miserable. I hated it. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Yeah. It was, it was bad. I, I think I even cried. I was, so, I was just so pathetic. It was just, so, all right, I'll get over it. It was bad. I didn't like it. And my dad happened to be one of the leaders. Well, the leaders at this particular camp were told, you guys don't get to interfere with the boys. You, you don't get to help them with anything. This is supposed to be kind of a test for the boys to see what they can do. And I'll, I mean, they were there to keep an eye on things. So, you know, if we cut anything, we'd get rescued, all of that. But they couldn't interfere, even at something like a wet sleeping bag. But you know what my dad did? He brought me to our van. He turned on the van, turned on the defroster, and threw my wet socks up on the dash. Sorry, I get a little bit choked up about it. Because in that one aspect, I see God's action. My dad took unauthorized action, okay, And he said, I'm going to rescue my son. That's what God does for us. He sees us in our plight. He sees us in our situations. And he says, I'm going to act. And I'm going to do something. And so those sitting in darkness, those living in the the land of of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. God acts for us. If we read further in Ephesians 1, we see the spiritual blessings that God has has acted and given to us with. And they're not necessarily those otherly world type things that we sometimes think about. Verse 5, he's given us adoption. He's made us part of his family. Verse 6, he's given us grace. In verse 7, we see that he's given us redemption and forgiveness. And in verse 13, he's given us his very spirit, which for us as believers, that is, that, that is very, it's just like the pillar of cloud and fire that the Israelites had in the book of Exodus, if you remember back there. It is God's very presence with us. These are the things God has acted toward us with. Because Jesus is the center of God's bigger story, we need to understand God is the one who acts. And he acts for us. Number two on your outline. We are now in Christ. That's the second thing we need to pay attention to. We are now in Christ. In other words, what that means is that Jesus is the reality and environment in which we live. He is the reality and the environment that we live in. As many of you know, my wife and I adopted both of our kids. And when we went to the Spokane County Courthouse to finalize Abigail's adoption, I will never ever forget the question. My the the judge looked at my son Caleb. He was about 4 at the time. He looked at Caleb and he said, Caleb, or she, excuse me, said, Caleb, why are we here? And without skipping a beat, Caleb, he's bouncing, he's excited. He says, we're here to make Abigail part of our forever family. And I lost it. 
It was over. That was it. My son summed up everything in that moment. You know, in both of our adoption experiences, though, there was a question that was asked that the lawyer had to ask us, and we had to answer. And here's the question. Do you understand that it that from this time forward, it is though Caleb or Abigail has been born to you? This is the reality now. All right? This, this is hardcore legal reality. It is as though they have been born to us. That is a picture of the reality we live in. Because of God's action for us in Christ, it is as though we have been born in his family. Let that sink in. Let that sink in for a minute. Now, there may be a lot more work to do. I've got rough edges. Because you're sitting here and you're on planet Earth, I know you have rough edges as well. There are things that we all need to work through. Things that need to be refined. There are still areas of our lives that need to be redeemed and brought back in, right? But because of what Jesus has accomplished, what is true of him is true of us. That is our reality. We are now in Christ because Jesus is the center of God's bigger story. We are in Christ, okay? That's number two. Number three on our outline. Worship is our way forward. Worship is our way forward. When Paul says in Ephesians 1.3, 1, uh, 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's actually at that point, he's, this is an eruption of praise. The ver- you read all the way through verse 14 or even beyond that, and Paul is just, he's just ex- exploding in praise to God, all right? Because of what God has done. Sometimes we confuse worship with great performances of really good songs that make us feel something, right? I know, I, I go there too. But let me be clear, all right? I do love really good songs that make me feel something. I think they're important and I think we need to sing them. But that's not the biblical definition of worship. That's not all there is to, to real worship. Paul said in Romans 12, 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in other words, because of everything God has done, all right, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. When Paul says offer your bodies, he's talking about our whole selves. Every aspect of us, our time, our energy, our finances, the things we're good at, all of it. Take it all, give it to God, and offer it outward to him. That's what he says. This is your true and proper worship. You want to know how to worship God? Offer all of you to him. Every day, in every way. That is worship. That's the worship that is the way forward for us. Worship, according to what the Bible tells us, is an ongoing action that includes our whole selves directed wholly pursuing God. And when we do that, we actually become like him. He changes us. We become more like him. And so that environment that is true for us in terms of being in Jesus 
it becomes more and more solidified and real as we live it out. Got a picture here. This uh, is one of the last walks my, my kids took with their grandparents uh, in August before we, we started heading over this way. And you'll notice Abby has something taped to her back. It's not a sign that says kick me that her, her brother put on there. She wanted to be a butterfly. And I remember as she was on her way out, she said, oh, I got to grab my wings. She grabbed her wings and she put them on and she went about doing life as a butterfly. Here's my point. Put on Jesus and do everything in and through him. Put on Jesus and do everything in and through him. Why? Because worship is our way forward. Worship is our way forward. We are included in Matthew's description of the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And so for us, exile is over. It's done. Because of Jesus, because of what he has done, because of the action God has taken, because our, our reality now is in Christ, and, and now we get to move forward in that reality through worship. We have been invited to be part of a bigger life. To accept that invitation means we live with the awareness that Jesus is at the center of God's bigger story. We're going to look a little bit more next week at, at what that means, okay? So there's more to come. But let's think about that this morning, living with that awareness, with that understanding that Jesus is at the center because God has acted for us in Jesus. He has made Jesus our reality, and now we get to move forward in him, okay? What we're going to do today is take communion together. We're going to begin putting this into practice through the act of communion. The band is going to come, and we're going to focus our love and attention on the one who is at the center of God's bigger story. The band is going to play a song, okay, and we're going to sing it. We're going to sing it to Jesus. We're going to and we're going to take some time to remember and to celebrate God's work on our behalf in Jesus by taking communion together. I told you that worship isn't merely singing a song, right? But what we're going to do is we're going to join action to the act of singing. As we sing the words to this song, what I want us to do is remember. Jesus said, remember me. Whenever you take this cup and you eat this bread, remember me. And that's not just like, oh man, wasn't that so great? He ever remembered a really good vacation? Or He's, he's actually talking about going beyond that into living in that moment. Okay? 
living in that moment, making that moment your reality. That's what we're going to do this morning. Make that moment our reality. Now, if you're new here, I want you to feel free to take communion. You don't have to be a member, an official member at Celebration Center to take communion. If you're part of the body of Christ, you get to take it. As the ushers pass out the bread and juice, I, I want to ask you all to hold it. We're going to hold the elements so that we can do this together. And after the song, I'm going to come back up and I'll take us through our time. But as, as the band plays and as we sing, let's remember. God has made a way for us to join his bigger story. All based on what he has done. Not on what we earn or deserve. And he gives us a family, a new environment to live in. And then he sets us loose in a new way of life. When Jesus was taking that last supper with his disciples, it's interesting, he, he doesn't give them a list of rules. He doesn't give them a list of accomplishments that they need to take care of. He gives them a meal. Okay? And he says, remember me. This cup. Is, is for the new covenant. It's my blood shed for you. It's God's action on your behalf. When we take this, we're not only remembering that he did something for us, but we are joining him in his new enterprise and what he is doing so that it becomes part of us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you Thank you that you have acted for us in the middle of our messes, in the middle of our problems, in the middle of everything that keeps us separated from you, you have reached out to us and you have made us your people. Thank you for shedding your blood and for making us yours. Let's take the cup. Jesus, for your obedience, for giving your body to the work of God, and going to the cross. Lord, we remember you and we join you in that and we ask now that you help us to give our bodies to the mission so that we can worship in our way forward, God. Thank you for the example, Jesus, and thank you that you give us the power. Thank you. Let's take the bread. 
Father, for all of us here, I pray that this week we would live hearing every single day, moment by moment, your invitation to continually join you in your bigger story, in your bigger life. God, and that we would be able to rest in the fact that it's not due to anything that we do or that we accomplish, but because of what you have done for us. Help us to live that out and be with us. Give us your spirit, your presence, your guidance this week as we join with you. Maybe you're here today and you haven't yet begun your life as a Christ follower. But you'd like to join in God's bigger story. You want to be part of this life that God has. I'm going to say a prayer I'm going to, and you just make it your own. All right? Father, I need you. I need you in my life. I know things are a mess. Some of it's my fault. Some of it's other people's fault. But I need you. So I ask that you would cause your light to shine in me. And I receive and accept your work through Jesus on my behalf. Let me be part of your family. Father, for anybody who made that prayer theirs, I ask that you would just comfort them right now, that you would give them your spirit, your presence, your grace. Open their eyes to the bigger life that you have called them into, that you are inviting them into, and that really it's a process. Let them know you, I pray, God. Be with us, Father, I pray, this week as we go from this place, as we live the life that you have called us to live in the little everyday ways. Let us walk closely with you and empower us to do that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.